sound is rolling. Um, we've we've mic checked. Yes. Yeah. And so yes. <clears throat> uh, I'll, I'll count us down just like usual. Uh, three, uh, two, uh. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Missing Out. I am Tari J. I am Lex Michael. And today, we're real glad to have you. Uh, we're talking about one of my faves, uh, Paprika. It was a 2006 animated movie created by Madhouse Inc., uh, directed by Satoshi Kon, uh, whom you may know from Paranoia Agent. Uh, if not, you probably don't know his work. Um, so thanks for joining us. Uh, if you have the chance, if you're not driving and you're just kind of hanging around listening to us doing stuff, make sure to uh, rate us, give us them sweet, sweet stars. Uh, five uh, is preferable. Anything less makes me sad. It does. I've seen it. Yeah. I, uh, I cry for every star we don't have. Uh, and I cry a lot, bro. So so stop the crying. Only you can stop the rain. And, and the thing is, right, it's not, it's not deep mournful crying, which I think would really affect me on a deep emotional level as well. It's this weird, uh, almost psychotic laugh crying Yeah, that actually makes me fear for my safety. Right. Like if you've seen the killing joke, uh, Joker, ha ha ha. It's actually, it's a lot like that. Yes. It's just like that, except with tears streaming down my face. Yes. Um, I mean, though the way I'm selling it, I feel like people would want to see that. Um, so. Well, we should, we'll commission an artist and yes. we'll have him do a, a little, little mock-up of it. And that'll be our new logo. And no one will listen to this show ever again because they are too scared. Maybe, or it'll be the most appealing. I say, if we get, uh, let's say, 15 comments, uh, and 15, 15 comments with ratings, um, then I will personally commission that image. Uh, so that is, my, that is my challenge to you folks at home. But once I see it, once yes. I see it, I think more than anything, I'm going to be a little bit bummed that one of the five Joker movies Warner Brothers is mulling over right now isn't black joker mm. i mean that's a movie that we can make ourselves I, we well now we have to it's true we're gonna have to change some of the names we're gonna have to call them like jerblin yeah. men's so we don't get sued <laughs> yes that's, I figured, that's the one i landed on i thought we just changed the spelling of joker like it, it's with two k's um and maybe like it just it's j-o-k-k-r and you're like, oh, yeah, that's the Joker. Or like Jocker. Yeah. Like J-O-C-K-E-R. Yeah. That, 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 that works. And the he's Jocker. also like real yoked. Yes. Yeah. For sure. So, only only tank tops for this guy. Hell yeah. But he's got, he's got some of the Jared Leto tattoos because they don't want to throw people too much. Right. Yeah. But they're all like weird variations. So like on his uh, forehead, it says something like, unfixed or <laughs> you know and instead of the the mouth on his hand it's like i don't know 
a chin. It's just like the chin part, but like a cleft chin. Yeah. A really sexy cleft chin. There's one on his bicep that says visit Prague. I don't I don't get it, but I'm sure that the tourist bureau of Prague is happy. Yeah. I'm sure they love that stuff. Yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> This is how we're gonna drum up tourism in Prague. Tattoo a scary clown. <laughs> yes. Prague, sponsor this podcast. <laughs> Um, so Paprika, yes, um, not from Prague. No, uh, if you're looking to watch it, it's on uh, Amazon, <laughs> Amazon, because that's how you pronounce that. Um, it's on Amazon. It's also on M- Anime Strike, which is a sub channel of Amazon. So uh, if you're like, oh my gosh, how do I watch this movie? Which we're totally about to spoil for you. Um, make sure to watch it then, so you can pause this, and then while you're watching it, don't forget to leave your comment, and then. Uh, come back. We'll wait, but not too long. And we're back, and it's like we time traveled. Ah, damn. You can see while, while an hour and a half has passed for you, mere seconds have passed for us here in the Missing Out studio. It's crazy. It's like we're moving at faster than speed of light. Because that's how time travel works. I don't know if you guys know that, but relatively... You, watch Interstellar. You'll understand. Sure. Um, so I watched Interstellar. I still don't. Okay, well, smarter people than you will uh, understand. Uh, meanness. Uh-huh. We're starting early with the mean. Normally you wait till we wrap to nope. get super ornery and mean, it's, but it's coming it's too out. too bad. It's coming out. Hell yeah. It's coming out. We haven't even hit, what, the seven minute mark? We're, getting We're almost there. So close. Nah, I I decided I was let the audience see another side of me. But see, it's like if if you were if you were laying odds, and I was like, what's the over under on when Tari's going to start getting super ornery and nasty? I, I would have lost that bet. That's true. Starting pretty soon. Cause you're a loser. That's part of my onriness. Yeah. Pro- production value. Shake them chains. You're never leaving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, so. Um, what was, what were your first impressions of Paprika? So I will start by saying that I enjoyed it. Okay. And I was really fascinated by a lot of what I saw in it. Yeah. The next thing I would say is I believe I referenced a conversation, uh, a few episodes ago. Maybe it was when we were talking about Samurai Shampoo. Um, a conversation that I had with my friend Jay, who I'm now name dropping. I didn't mention him by name on the last show, yeah. but now that he said, no, name drop me every day. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to my friend Jay about it, and we were talking about how the experience I have watching anime is not dissimilar to the experience that he and I know a lot of other people have watching movies, say, pre-1950s. Yeah. And I, I do totally get it. It's like if you are not used to that style, there is a period of adjustment as you essentially recondition yourself, teach yourself how to watch it. I am still very much in that that transitionary period when it comes to anime. What I what I really discovered, or not discovered, what was reinforced for me watching Paprika, Yeah, it's an hour and a half long. Uh-huh. That's about an hour too much anime for me in a sitting. Interesting. I At about the half hour mark, I start having to work real hard to stay focused. Now, this this was actually not that difficult because I actually found a lot in Paprika to be very, very compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I wasn't, if I drifted away from the story in my head for a second, something, even if it was just a really interesting visual, would pull me back. So yeah. I actually had a, an easier time returning my focus to it than I honestly expected 
that I would. Yeah. But that's it. Really, it really became even more clear that I'm very much in the the transition period of I I this is impenetrable, and okay, I know what my my in is. I feel like I'm I'm scraping at that wall. Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna get there eventually. <laughs> I mean, it's yes, it's a process, and. In, in that Samurai Champloo episode, we also talked about Akira. And so I recommended Paprika to you because I felt like it had the, the same amount of aesthetics as Akira does with like all of the really insane uh, animation and how fluid it is and how crazy the scale becomes. Um, but it also has like a storyline that you can follow for the most part. Yeah. And so, like, I felt like it combined the the two things that I wanted you to get from anime overall is that a sense of how imaginative the artist can become, but also how uh, relatively rich the storytelling can be. Yeah, and this one too. Some anime that I see, and I, again, I'm I'm far from uh, an anime connoisseur, but a lot of anime that I see, I feel like the uh, the the animation style is obviously the same it's 2d hand-drawn animation but uh-huh. the the and the art style is often very similar but i find that some that i i come across it feels stiff it doesn't feel all that fluid yeah and much of the animation in paprika felt very fluid to me oh yeah um in that respect reminded me of didn't know not the same appearance but the same fluidity as some of the the really popular like 90s disney movies uh-huh um or w- weirdly some uh, some of the better animated episodes of batman the animated series come to mind yeah um like how fluid some of the clayface transformations are mm-hmm. and that too helped me fall into it a little bit more it felt a lot more immersive whereas sometimes i watch anime and i feel like i'm watching uh, almost like i'm watching paper cutouts right you know yeah i get that um I think that is what the biggest standout about Paprika is, is that everything is hand-drawn. Most of the stuff that, especially in modern anime, is some of it is essentially computer animated, and and some of it is, and by computer animated, I mean it's just in the way that they do their uh, drawing. They use um, computer hand-pad systems, which make it easier for them. There was definitely at least one shot in Paprika where I went, oh, that looks like that part of, that, like that element was done in a computer, and it's when like the the camera, it's no camera, it's, it's drawings, but where where the illusion illusioned yes. camera pans over to a ladder right. in a trapdoor that that descends downward, and yeah. that ladder looks looks computer. Yes, that was CGI. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I I feel like it doesn't have. Uh, so the more you get into anime, the more you start to notice the like budget saving tricks. Um, and I don't feel like Paprika has as many of those. So as if you really dive into anime, especially like serialized anime, you'll notice things that like they take still images and maybe move the background a little bit and that helps them save money. Or they'll take um, like even just still images and just have the lips move. And basically that is a scene, you know, and you you don't get that and you get so many little details in paprika like i think that one of my favorite ones was just how much they had to make um oh what is his name uh toshida the the larger guy um they just had him sweating all the time yes. and someone had to keep animating him sweating um it's all those like little realistic things that almost like make me forget it's animated. Yes, the, I had I had a number of those moments as well and I'm going to say right now before we get too much further into this conversation. Yes. With the exception of Paprika, 
I, I'm not going to, I can't pretend that I'm keeping track of all of the names of these characters. So I'm going to refer to them by their physical descriptions until you okay. tell me what their name is. Yes. So there's a scene, One, it's, it's in the second half of the movie where a uh, uh, short, bald, funny doctor. Just call him the chief. The chief, that's, that's right, is driving and it's raining. Yeah. And you get these shots of. Uh, it's it's like close on him through the windshield or mm-hmm. sometimes it's just the windshield and you see the raindrops hitting the windshield and running down and running together and then yes. one bigger drop runs down and I was like that is gorgeous yeah. and it feels like you say incredibly realistic to the point where yeah for a, for a second your brain almost thinks you're watching something that was that was filmed this is actual rain hitting a windshield yeah and even that shot um, which stood out to me as well was a good method of uh visualizing what they were what what they were talking about in terms of the dreams and how all the assorted scattered dreams melded into one in the same way that those raindrops did so it also helped to illustrate what they were the like meaning of what they were saying but also served to be a really beautiful shot yes uh we call that in the trade a visual metaphor oh Uh, i'm learning so many things Things today. Both of those words have three syllables. What? Yeah, so you know it's smart. That's true. I, I will say also, <laughs> um, I was gonna. I, I want to talk about um, the cop, uh, Konakawa. At a certain uh, point, a little bit later. Okay. But, at a certain point, I realized he resembles J. Jonah Jameson, and I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I could see that. Um, but he also did a bunch of like film theory pieces when he, or not even film theory, but like, um, film, uh, what are they called? Like film terms. That moment when he's sitting in the theater. I really, I liked that for a second we, and I know you want to maybe talk about this character later, you said, but I loved that scene because it seemed like we took a break from the story to have a, a little mini, real, real brief little film class. Yeah. But in a way that didn't, it felt like. This is not a useless scene. It's not only there for people who are in the audience that are film nerds and are like, I never hear people talk about breaking the line on screen in movies. Mm-hmm. But also it gives you such insight into his character. It's like yeah. that scene unlocks his entire character because it's the same guy who earlier in the movie w- insisted that like, oh, I don't I don't see movies. I don't want anything to do with movies at all. Yeah. And you peel back those layers, of course, as you get further into the story, you, you figure out why. But you also see in that scene how much all of that is still living within him. Yeah. And I actually think that scene is really is really cool on that level as well. Yeah. Actually, I changed my mind. I want to talk about him now. Let's do it. Because um, I feel like he had the biggest arc of the whole show. For sure. And by show, I mean movie. Um, because, yes, as you're you, – you, he's the first person you really encounter in the whole movie. And you – you think it's going to be this murder mystery in in his in his story and over time you're slowly realizing that he he isn't trying to solve this murder that he's working on he's trying to figure out that he essentially killed his dreams as a 17 year old kid and is trying to reconcile with that and i felt like those that just that theme like it hit me yes. real hard um, as like a guy who is also getting older and, and finding that like when humans get older, they have to compromise in, in different ways in order to make sure that they are staying on the, the track that's right for them based on their, what's available to them. Um, and I, I like that he was able to find the medium between the two. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I do like pretty early on, you start to see different versions of the dreams that he's having. Mm -hmm. And I love how we go, we go from genre to genre almost. And there's that one, there's the one bit and we come back to them later. I think we see almost all of them again. Yeah. Slightly different context, but real early on, there's one, it's like the action thriller genre dream that he has, which I'm pretty positive. And I haven't really read up on the production history or like what, the specific influences were, but it's gotta be a, a nod to from Russia with love because of how specific it is. It's the fight on the train. It's the garrot wire. And then it's the briefcase, which is I think laying open when you see them fighting. Uh-huh. But then when paprika enters that dream, she like hits the assailant over the head with it. Yeah. So in from Russia with love bond has uh, it's like his first gadget and it's really minimal. It's like he has like gold coins housed in the briefcase. It can pop out a knife, but it's also like if you uh, unlock it wrong, like you don't, you don't undo the latches properly. Yeah. It'll gas you in the face. A weaponized briefcase. So we don't see gadgets on this briefcase, but I do like that the briefcase itself becomes a weapon in this dream. So it's like, oh, from Russia with love. Yay. And then I felt a little more comfortable. (laughs) Um, Yes. I feel like the creator of this movie, I guess it's probably Satoshi's uh, influence, but you can tell that there's a very rich love of movies and just like with all the, just even the way that everything is uh, framed and the way that everything looks and just, uh, yeah, references that I, d- I think I myself don't even really get. That, well, that uh, was the big one that jumped out. Yeah. Um, but like, and even just the, the scene we were talking about earlier, there there is such a, a rich, uh, like, understanding of how to create film. Like, it reminded me, which uh, I guess is funny, because it reminded me of how Nolan talks about Inception being a metaphor for not just dreams, but the the process of making movies. Yes, I mean it was. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty popular reading of Inception, and I do think I do think it, it holds water so much so that I actually think Inception works. I think Inception works real well, no matter which way you approach it. Right, but it works almost better for me as a metaphor for the process of filmmaking than it does as a movie about the dreamscape. Because yeah. all, even though they go you know, dreams within dreams within dreams and the rules that govern our reality start to get a little uh, more malleable the further down you go. Yeah. Most of the dreamscapes still feel pretty much like the world that we're familiar with. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, there are some people that might look at it and say, well, that's a missed opportunity, but that's not, that's not the movie that no one was interested in making. Right. What I do think was really cool. And like a lot does right now, I was reminded uh, by this movie of David Lynch and his work and how dreamlike most of his work feels. And I remember him talking about him talking about dreams in some interview. And uh, this isn't a completely new revolutionary idea, but the idea that, you know, what are dreams? Dreams, essentially short version, and I'm sure you could do a much fl- more flowery uh, description of, of what they are, but it's essentially our subconscious mind processing information and trying to uh, maybe work out problems or just figure out where to compartmentalize everything in the brain that you experienced in a day. Uh, we, we get it more. We get what's happening. Yeah. And you create these scenarios as all of these thoughts blend together and move around in your subconscious, unconscious brain. But no one really knows why we choose the images we choose. Mm-hmm. No one really knows why specifically they manifest the way they do uh, dream to dream, person to person. And right. I think that's really fascinating. And I think... If we were able to 
you know, if we were able to really objectively assess every element of our life, like if we were, if we all became for a second omnipotent and we could see our entire life like a tapestry Mm -hmm. from, from a distance and we could see all of it at once. Yeah. Every moment that has shaped our identity, we can see in front of us and it's all there, all, you know, uh, nothing, no memory failing us. We're all seeing it objectively. So it's not, you know, you can rely on what you're seeing. Yeah. Then maybe you can make some educated guesses about why your mind is choosing the images that it's choosing as it tries to process all of this. But short of that, yeah, I think it's really fascinating because without every piece of context that led your mind to what it's processing and how it's processing it, yeah, you don't, it, it's almost impossible to pin that down unless your dreams are real hyper-specific. Right. But what I think is really fascinating about, about this character in Paprika is he gets that question answered essentially mm-hmm. and we get that question answered essentially uh but i feel like too now is maybe a good time to talk about it, and even if only as it relates to this specific character like the what the story of this movie actually is and what like n- not on a thematic level but even just on a plot level yeah like we have this new this radical form of therapy where you can more or less watch someone's dreams mm-hmm. but this technology is stolen and it seems effectively weaponized yeah, and used against people to to either make them harm themselves or potentially harm others. It's a it's a big old. There's a scary parade. Yes, that it's true. I mean, essentially, it kind of works on a. I don't remember which specific um, field of psychology is. I want to say it's like Jungian or Freudian, where like essentially everything in your dream is a gateway to what your subconscious is, and so them interacting with these aspects of your dreams and even changing them a little bit helps you interpret what your mind is, is not secretly, but like in the end, what you is ultimately bothering you um, below the surface. I feel like that's closer to, to Jungian yes. philosophy. Well, Cause Jung was all about collective unconscious. Freud was mostly about how everything is sexual. So yeah. maybe if you're having like real vivid Oedipal sex dreams, then Freud might be your guy. But I think I th- somebody listening is like, you fool, you know nothing of the work of either of these men. Uh, but it's, I think, I think that's more of a Jungian concept. Yeah, I believe so. Um, and we get, I mean, we get shout outs to different, uh, different psychological theory. We had her openly being like, and you're Oedipus, blah, 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 blah. Yes. Um, and a few others, I think, especially through the chairman, which is the guy in the wheel- wheelchair. So the chairman, real quick, I, I saw him, and before I even saw that he was in the wheelchair, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this the, the look of this character, the way this character is drawn, looks very much like if Vincent Price played Professor X. <laughs> I could see that. You see it, right? Yeah. Yeah, now you'll course. never unsee it. Like, And I thought that immediately. I was yeah. like, oh, it's, they drew Vincent Price, but bald. <laughs> Almost like 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 when he played Egghead on the '60s Batman series, but without the artificially enlarged cranium. Got it. Okay. Um, yes, I definitely see it. And now, ugh, now that's the only thing I'm ever gonna think about. Yep. Whenever I see that character, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> um. <laughs> um. Yes, though. I mean, even beyond it, the uh, the concept of the DC Mini being stolen, uh, there's also this idea of, which is, I, I want to say it's called mimetic theory, um, which is what where we get the term memes from, where essentially it, all these people um, 
if all these people share in a specific thought, then it becomes one unified unified thought that's bigger than any one individual. Well, and that also sounds like it it references back to the collective unconscious idea, right? Um, which is what this parade is. It's it's not just something that the chairman put together. It's also uh, a piece of Hitoshi. Nope, that's not his name. Um, everyone's oh, Himuro. It's also what Himuro uh, has contributed to it with his dolls and things of that sort. Help it's me, which also one is, which one is Himuro? Himuro is the the first uh, red herring ga- character. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, so him with his dolls and also um, Osani, who is the uh, the like suck up guy with the chairman, who is going to give the chairman his body. Is he the one that turns out to be a total creepy creeper? Yes, that guy. Yes. Okay, okay. Slight slight digression. Uh, one of the more disturbing things I've seen in a movie recently is when he essentially uh, opens Paprika up uh-huh. by what looks like he inserts his hand into, like through her clothing into her vagina yep. and reaches all the way up to her head and uh-huh. like splits her open revealing the the actual real flesh and blood person yeah. underneath. That was weird. It was real weird. And not weird like not weird like Ugh, I can't I can't handle it, but it was just like, "Huh, that's something I've not seen before." Yeah, it was odd, but it was also real dope. Well, and the thing is it's not it's not graphic. It Yeah. It is if you think about it for even a second, yeah. but it's not depicted graphically. It's depicted as very much like this is we're we're in a dreamscape. These are dream rules. Yeah. He almost like he his hand meshes almost like suddenly she's made of like goop or play-doh. Right. Um and just, like reaches in and like the whole way up, it's like he he stuck his hand into into clay. Yeah. More or less. Which which does track because you could those those plosives. Ooh, uh, it's, it's an industry term. Um, <laughs> but so paprika is is uh, I mean she's a manufactured personality. But yeah, so I was reminded of another more recent Lynch thing, which is which is tulpas, and tulpas are a, a lot like the concept of an avatar. Although a tulpa would exist presumably in our world as like a manufactured. Sometimes a doppelganger, but sometimes it's just an entity uh, spiritually manufactured for some purpose. Yeah. And that's essentially Paprika. So it makes sense that she is, again, it's like, it's such a weird scene to discuss, but it makes sense that she is almost pulled apart like clay. Yeah. Because she is, she is a construct. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. As much as any of the other dream elements in the story, Paprika herself is a construct, which is something else that I thought was really interesting. I went into this movie knowing essentially nothing about it. Right. So I didn't realize that this this character, although it stands to reason, she's she's using all forms of media to essentially teleport herself around. It does stand to reason that maybe she is not a uh, flesh and blood true human being in the sense that we're familiar with it. But that reveal I actually found to be very effective, especially because of how different lady scientist seems to be from the avatar that she created for herself. Yes. Atsuko is, uh, thank you. That's not a hard one to remember. I should have, I should remember Atsuko. I mean, yes, well it's her, they also call her Chiba. So maybe you would, uh, you know, mistaken the two and you're like lady doctor. 
Um, I really do actually want to talk about the duality of uh, Paprika and Atsuko. But before I do, I really want to read some sweet, sweet reviews, baby. We got we got some reviews. We got some reviews. People are listening now. Are they deeply venomous? Uh, no. Are they calling for our blood? Uh, I don't think so. I don't even think they know what type of blood we have. I don't even think I know what type of blood I have. Um, you should know that. It's very important information. Well, you know, I've, my, my blood supply is cobbled together from the blood supplies of, uh, the homeless. Oh, that's true. When you I, are, I uh, feast on them uh, at night. Yes. I was born without blood. It was a miracle. Yes. In fact, uh, a scary one. What's the what's the word for scary miracle? I think it's still a miracle, depending on your perspective. But like you'd think we'd have a term that is like the dark inverse of a miracle, because a miracle right. has a very positive connotation. Yes, I mean it is technically like a catastrophe. Sure. Would it, would it be like a like or or uh, I don't know. Now I mean it's a it's a disaster. It's it's a horrid thing that has taken place. But okay, you know Anyways. what I you know what I think is a miracle and not the scary kind yes. is that apparently some people have reviewed our show and and if I'm reading the context clues correctly, yeah, they did so favorably. Oh yeah, ah. we got some sweet sweet reviews. Do go do go on. Tell me what nice things people have to say. Uh, we got two dope reviews. Uh, let's see. Pretty dope from Jonathan Wheeler. That's five stars. He's using my terms. That makes me feel so good. I don't know if you own the patent on pretty dope. I know. <laughs> I own it. It's mine. Uh, every time you Netflix say pretty dope, be damn. Yeah, every time you say pretty dope, you owe Tari J. Miller $30. Hell yeah. Uh, so Jonathan Wheeler says, I followed these guys over from AfterBuzz and I love this. They're insightful, but also real goofy. Like, really goofy. Keep it up, guys. I want that on my headstone. <laughs> Insightful, but goofy. Ellipses. Really goofy. Hell yeah. And like, when it snows, I'm going to be buried somewhere where there's snow. When it's all snowy, you have to scrape the snow away <laughs> to see the ellipses and really goofy. Yeah. It'll be great. It'll so, be a reveal. Like, people will go, as they'll take a pilgrimage. Right. And they'll be like, what does it say? This is gonna this is gonna unlock this man's entire life. And oh, there's just a little bit that's obscured. I this was this was very nice, but I bet this last little bit Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh I mean it could be your rosebud though. Re- just the words really goofy. Yeah. Like that's what I'll that's what I'll say right before I go. I'll have to write myself a note or like tie a ribbon around my finger and right. keep it there until I reach the end of my life. Uh-huh. And no matter what context I go in, I just gotta be like, ellipses really. <laughs> and, and be like, and what does it mean? Yeah, what is that? What is it? I don't understand. And then yeah. somebody, some intrepid person, is going to get get this close, just this like a millimeter away from discovering the significance, and won't be able to. And when they throw out all of our old hard drives or something, like right before one screen like clicks off forever, uh-huh. you see the the review that Jonathan Wheeler wrote, yes. but nobody else, nobody else does. You, uh-huh. you, this audience that I guess is watching my entire life in real time right. will see it and they'll be like, no, they were so close. That's what it means. Mm-hmm. This is less interesting than Kane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, having not seen Citizen Kane, I think it's very interesting. Oh, dude. All right. We're doing a show on that at some point. I would imagine. All right. So you said we had two. Um, uh, yes. Thank you. By the way, thank you, Jonathan Wheeler. It actually, I know we've been like really, really goofy. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that it means a lot. Thank you for taking the time and saying something nice. Yeah. Because it's the, the internet is full of negativity. So it's like, <laughs> it, no, it, genu- it genuinely, even when it has nothing to do with me, I really appreciate when somebody puts in the effort to say something nice online because we could use more of it. When it is about me, even better. Yeah. Uh, another person who really likes you uh, is the Dabadon. Uh, he says, five stars for Lex's health. Uh, <laughs> oh, so that's a... Uh... Wow, that bit just is gonna it's gonna haunt me for the rest of my days. That is a bit that was started by uh, our friend and fellow AfterBuzz host Frank Moran, uh-huh. where I think he started it on the Legends of Tomorrow After Show. Yeah, and the bit was essentially you got to give us those five star reviews because I that's the, my only source of nourishment. I can't I can't eat I can eat food, but it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, I can drink water, does nothing for me. I have to distill five star reviews into liquid and drink it out of like one of the cups yeah. that we have at the studio. But this bit, it just keeps going. Oh yeah. This is like a years old bit now. <laughs> It'll follow you forever. I mean, and it's keeping you alive. But it... I, I appreciate that, that the Dabadon is concerned for my well being. Yeah. He also says, or she, he or she also says, uh, my favorite two pod or after buzz hosts on one podcast exclamation point. Seriously, a well-polished podcast with great banter and discussions uh, which feel genuine. You can tell these two have been doing podcasting for a long time and are always on the same page. Keep up the good work. Hey. Uh, which is nice. That is actually that's really nice. Thank yeah. you Dabadon. Thank you. Thank you very much because that Makes me feel good. <laughs> and that's what we're here for, is to feel real good. I mean, I mean, look, let's be honest. There is a certain masturbatory quality to what we're doing. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think so. I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, actually, but actually, if, if people are, uh, feel like they're getting something out of listening to this show, I guess, I guess you could make an argument for a mutual masturbation scenario. Yeah. Because then it's like we make them feel good with the content and right. then they make us feel good with the validation. Yeah. I'd like to think of it as uh, making love with our audience. Like everyone's satisfied by the end. You know, we love it. They love it. And we're just having some sweet, sweet auditory love. And then we just lay back and smoke cigarettes. Hell yeah. But don't smoke cigarettes, kids. They're bad for you. They're bad for They're you. They're super bad for yeah. you. But don't you vape so, either. You look so cool with They that. really do. You really do. Here's here's what you do. Here's how you work around it. You know those fake prop cigarettes? Yeah. That, like you can, you can quote unquote smoke on stage where you're right. really blowing into it and it's making a little cloud? Yeah. After sex, one of those. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she'll be like, wow, you're Ooh. so cool. Yeah. And you'll be like... I know. And then you'll roll over and you'll look at the camera and you'll wink. Uh-huh. And that's how, that's the commercial. That's and how they're going to sell the artificial cigarettes. <laughs> and she's like, why is there a camera here? Have you been filming this the whole time? And then and- it, it commercial ends. <laughs> and like, she's not even in focus. The guy's in focus and she's uh, out of focus in the background. Yeah. But you see her moving and you see her like getting up quickly and right. his face just changes ever so slightly and then it cuts <laughs> to like a car ad or something. Of course. Um, the perfect ad. <laughs> you would remember the brand, but honestly, I feel like they could advertise it in any way and you'd still remember because I don't think I've ever seen a commercial for artificial cigarettes. That's true. I've seen, well, I've seen like substitutes, Yeah, but I haven't seen like for fake prop cigarettes. Right. All the commercials I see for not cigarettes are like just a bunch of dudes being like, you vape, bro? You all, <laughs> you vaping, bro? 
you got that you got that steam just in like your that. Gloves, are there bruh? are there arms spread that far when they yeah, do it usually they, as far as they can go it's an impressive just, it's a wingspan yeah. Um, I mean, most of the time when they're not humans, they're all they're vultures. It's just giant a bunch birds. Of, just well, giant we know birds. The, the secret history of vape culture is that it was started by a flock of giant birds. It's true. Yes. Because um, the birds were like, it's like flying through a cloud, vaping. At one point, the bird king was like, cigarettes are too heavy on my lungs. Yeah. Let's find a let's find a decent workaround. So we can like they're flying and they're testing out different different vapes. And, mm-hmm. like, some of them are too heavy, and so the birds are, like, very gradually grounded because they're trying to fly with the thing. Right. But then they develop the little, the light little pens, uh-huh. and so you've got them, like, while they're flying around, you got it in their little talon, and it's super light, and they just, like, reach their talon up to their beak and are like... That's yeah. awesome. Nice. They feel good. People on the ground feel good because they just saw a bird vaping through the sky. And they're like, I got to go tell everybody about this. I'm going to make like 10 friends tonight on this story. Yeah. Yeah. And then they turn to the camera and wink. And then the girl they're in bed with gets out and is like, are you? Are you Why are there birds in here? <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. Um, I really liked the fact that Paprika and Atsuko were so different. Yes. And eventually they like kind of merged, but it, it kind of speaks to this idea of who we are and who we imagine ourselves to be. And you, you start to wonder which personality came first. Was it always Atsuko being the colder uh, version of herself? And then she, as part of her dreams, uh, developed paprika or was it the paprika personality and then as she got older which seem, seems to be kind of the theme of this uh, movie kind of as you grow older you start to lose who you are or who you were maybe she started out as paprika and then eventually grew into Atsuko yeah comparatively of course uh, Atsuko feels far more like a, a serious adult and right. Paprika feels like, certainly not infantile, but feels a lot more childlike by comparison. By comparison to most of the characters in the movie, I have a pretty easy time buying that Oscar would, uh, almost just as a way to live vicariously through it, before we get to like all of this intrigue that in which Paprika can be deployed as an asset, I feel like it's just a way to re-experience that sense of of play of freedom of of wonder that you often unfortunately have to leave behind in large part as you as you grow up so i like this idea that this very outwardly this very serious uh professional Mm -hmm. would create that as an avatar for herself i think it's that alone and without hitting this point too aggressively right on the head i feel like that choice tells you so much about that character that they don't really ever stop the movie to labor right yeah and it to Atsuko's uh detriment I feel up until she finally really decides to reconcile between the two sides of herself um Atsuko what I call her a second ago Oscar uh, or something Atsuko, yeah let's go it doesn't matter um lady scientist lady, lady scientist yeah um or Sunny Chiba if you'd like. No, because if I start calling everyone who looks even vaguely Asian Sunny Chiba, I'm going to get some very angry tweets. If I if I'm on well her last name is Chiba and uh Paprika is a very sunny character. So, I feel like we can reconcile that. Tari well. Tari J, racism apologist. <laughs> 
Uh, you got racism. I'll make it right. Yeah, you need some excuses. I got them for sale. And then Tari rolls over and winks at the camera and out of focus in the background. The girl's like, what the f-? <laughs> How do I? How does this keep happening? It's always the same girl. <laughs> She's got a type, clearly. Uh, yes. Um, so not Sunny Chiba. Um, Atsuko. <laughs> um, uh, oh, man. Um, yeah, so Atsuko finally realizes that she does, because it feels like she has, she feel it, it to me feels like she feels like she has to be this very put together professional. And so, uh, it's what's mainly keeping her apart from, um, the, the larger fellow, uh, Tokida, um, essentially who is basically a big child. Speaking of. We got we got uh, some some hardcore fat shaming in this picture. Um. Yes. We have this sequence where they're at the restaurant, right? And she's talking to him about. I just. Can't, I'm paraphrasing. I just can't believe that somebody so smart can't figure out how not to be fat. It's like, geez. <laughs> like he's a nice guy. It's true. <laughs> Leave him alone. Um. I mean, he did. Yeah. It. it it's. It was rough. Um. Like, I felt like they were playing it up, um, like, it, but it didn't feel like they were playing it for comedy. It was just like, this guy's fat, and he knows he's fat, and he's, we're just going to let him be fat. But, like, she calls it out very pointedly. Oh, yeah, and there was a, a lot of, of people. Me, there was a part of me that wondered, well, maybe it's a, it's a translation thing, and the original dialogue plays... I mean, their, their faces are not big grins when they say it, but maybe right. it just plays a little less pointedly. I'm not... Sure, I watched the dub. In yeah. in the dub, sure does sound mean. It does sound mean, but it, it also feels very much like that character. Because um, she's mostly the only one who keeps pointing it out. Like, um, the the detective says calls refers to him as, like, the chubbier guy. Um, but she, I think, at multiple points, just keeps being like, you're fat. You're the fattest fat person I've ever fatted in the history of fat guys. Um, and even when they're having their scene of like in her dream, I think it's like when she goes into the robot and she pulls him out of the elevator and she's like, you're a child and you're fat and I hate you. And he's like, it's true. I'll eat anything that you put in front of me. Yes. Anything. Yes. Anything edible. Yeah. I, I, I loved actually how fine with it he was like as he's eating and after she calls him fat, he's like. Yeah, I'm 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 preparing for battle. I can't I can't battle on an empty stomach. Um which I I really enjoyed about that character. Well, it makes it him him being mostly good-humored about it. I think makes it a lot easier as an audience member to be good-humored about it. Right. If it was clearly hurting his feelings, I think suddenly most of the rest of your characters are detestable <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. So it it does it helps it helps facilitate the audience being okay with it when you see that like he he hears it he absorbs it but it mostly rolls off him yeah um, just like the beads of sweat they painstakingly drew on him I was waiting to see how you're gonna tag up on that thing I just said yeah yeah you didn't didn't disappoint hell no sweat I I just it beautifully animated aspect. sweat yes it really just blows my mind the fact that someone in the art direction room was like this he, he it's it's hot in japan all the time um and he's like 
like he eats a lot so i imagine he's probably sweating and they're like i mean but do people want to see this character sweat and he's like we're going for realism here in this dream movie he got damn better sweat when he's putting in effort to things realism yeah (laughs) yeah my uncle jerry shot a guy who fell down in slow motion and then he tripped through the floor which like crumpled underneath him into an abyss that totally happened yeah all the time. I have I have a little mini DV tape with it on it. I don't know. I don't have a camera that can play it, so I can't show it to you right now. But right. I swear I've got it. And like yeah. one day you're gonna come back and I'm gonna show you this footage. And you're gonna be like, "Whoa, this is different." Yeah, common common occurrence. But okay, wait, hang on. So, can we talk about this parade a little bit? Yes. So. Here's once once it became clear that this parade was was going to be something that would recur throughout the movie and the parade in a way the parade almost functions as like the kaiju of the story. Yeah. Like the parade is made up of a bunch of parts and you have a couple of parts that break off. Like you got, you get the giant, uh, geisha. Yeah. Like the giant squat geisha. Terrifying. Uh Um, but the, the parade is almost like it's a collective, but it's its own mass entity. It is almost like, um, until you get to the end where, uh, Vincent Price becomes giant and Paprika has to get really big. And then they actually do have basically a a brief kaiju fight of sorts. The monster is basically this parade, this very brightly colored festive parade. And then I started to think about there is, all right, I'm going to reference another Bond movie. Go for it. Moonraker, which is not considered one of the best pictures in the Bond canon. Uh, it's the second movie to feature Jaws, the Richard Keel character, the super tall, super strong guy with the metal teeth. Yeah. Um, and at one point, I think they're in Rio de Janeiro, like during Carnival, and there's a big parade that's happening, and Jaws is in the parade. And yeah. he's dressed up in like this clown outfit with a giant head. And at one point, uh, Bond and the lady that he's with break off from, and the lady may even be by herself. Uh, at that point, but breaks off from the rest of the crowd and is moving through back streets. Mm-hmm. And you see every so often, like the the turn, and you see Jaws, but in this, you can't see his face. You see this clown, this parade clown that's walking after them. Yeah. And it's terrifying. And it feels like for a second you stepped into a slasher movie where almost like it might as well be Michael Myers stalking you. Yeah. And then I started thinking, what if you were being stalked like, a, like you were in a, a horror movie? By an entire parade. And that entire parade was just marching you into a corner. <laughs> that would be, forget scary, that would be immediately overwhelming. Yeah. I feel if you and if you knew, because if you see a parade coming down the street, even if you weren't expecting a parade, it'd be like, oh, what okay, there's a parade going on. I wonder what what that's about. Yeah. If you knew immediately that parade was about to make a really big turn directly at you. Yeah. And then just follow you yeah it'd be like the most terrifying version of the running of the bulls yes yeah yes because Um, it's all like sentient toys and odd creatures and some guys in business suits (laughs) it's a whole mess of things and like all just descending upon you yeah i had forgotten about how sinister and and creepy the the parade actually was like there's that moment when they're having the video or the movie breakdown inside the theater and we it's a really quiet scene where he's just explaining uh how movies work and then slowly in the background you start to see elements of the parade 
pouring in through the vents and all over until it becomes this giant mass that breaks through the wall. Yes. Um, I had completely forgotten about that. And then it reminded me of how terrifying it would be. Um, it also reminded me of this movie that came out when I was a kid called Nemo in Dreamland. Heard of it. Um, Haven't seen it. It is an okay movie. It's just okay. Scared me when I was a kid. The least, the um, least popular of Disney's Nemo trilogy. Right. Uh, <laughs> it didn't even register at first. Um, but uh, it's like well, it's like their it's like their El Mariachi, which is it's like the little the smaller one, the lesser known one, and uh-huh. then they made their Desperado, which is Finding Nemo. Right. Yeah, totally. It's a super weird comparison <laughs> to make. Anyway, you were saying um, it remind because it was it it was also basically like a he goes to, Nemo goes to Dreamland and which is filled with all these like wonderful things and there's a dream city and and all these like creatures from people's dreams and all that stuff. It's where all of your dreams live. Um, and then at a certain point, every nightmare gets released and takes over dreamland and it remind it makes me think of that sequence when everything that was joyful that would be wonderful in a dream essentially becomes a nightmare yes. um and that is what the parade is though it's comprised of multiple people's nightmares yeah and it's something that because it's all so so bright and so festive. Yeah. It's like the inversion of that makes it, or the, the warping of that or the perversion of those really positive, bright child friendly images, much in the same way. Like as we're recording this, it just came out. It chapter one was just released and made all the money in the world. And I think that's it for two reasons. I think one is the fact that it's just a really well-made movie that clearly connected with people. Yeah. But the other, and I think part of why connected with people is the character of Pennywise. I think they did a really excellent job with this iteration of the character on multiple levels, but I think that idea, and I guess this is, I don't have this clown fear that seems to be so prevalent in our society, Uh but I do get how clowns are, they're silly, they're goofy, they are uh, a a figure with the greatest significance at a certain point in your life, that point usually being childhood. It's all, it's all innocent. It's all harmlessness. It's all fun. And then to turn that image into something truly sinister becomes becomes almost more unsettling than if it's like Freddy Krueger chasing you down an alley. It's suddenly this this image that represents fun and innocence and lightheartedness yeah. is now the thing that's turning on you. And where do you, what is your out there? Because it's like you run, say if it is Freddy Krueger, yes, you're, you're presumably running just to get away from him. Yeah. But somewhere in your mind, you want to be running to safety. You want to be running to, maybe it's a location, but maybe it's the idea of a person. If not an actual person, the idea of a person, someone that does represent something safe, something familiar, something comforting. But when that thing becomes the thing yeah. that is stalking you, it's like, where do you, what, what do you now turn to to get away from that? Alcohol. And, yeah, alcohol and black tar. Yeah, um, and also vaping. Yeah, don't don't forget yeah, to vape. Giant birds <laughs> hang out with the giant. The giant birds are not down with black tar. They're actually they're, weirdly, with with the exception of the vaping, they're pretty pretty straight edge. But it's they true. make an exception for the. They like to blow the like the rings right. a lot when they fly and fly through them. It's actually really cool if you see it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's like that game Knights that came out on the Sega Saturn. If you know it, you know it. If you don't, doesn't matter. <laughs> but all right, so. 
what? So, but yeah, the the parade reminded me of that. It's yeah. this idea of something fun, innocent, festive, perverted into something sinister writ large like then it, it's just this mass that descends upon you that looks completely fun and innocent as it destroys you <laughs> right from the inside out which is yeah that's a that's a very unsettling concept mm-hmm. and speaking of being destroyed from the inside out i really really liked the resolution of basically both the parade and the main adversary which was the chairman which was uh not paprika but um, Atsuko, uh, being a baby that That's absorbs right, yes. him into herself. Yep. It wasn't like a big fist-to-fist fight. It was her essentially taking this nightmare and then using it to uh, physically grow up, and then resolving everything. Which is which is cool. That's right. Like that that aspect of it was something that when I alluded to that scene, I skipped over. But it's it's a cool almost. It feels like she she melded her two halves into a whole, right? Which is which is cool. It's like, and that's that's something else Lynch plays with. Um, <laughs> but yes, taking these two these two personalities that exist to a large extent independently of one another, yeah, and finally uh, reintegrating. Brr, production value. Brr. <laughs> hey, stop trying to escape. Yeah, you get back there. You get in that seat. Uh, uh, uh. Um, reintegrating both of them, and because they're they're separate. They're distinct. They can exist independently of each other, but neither one is a whole person without the other. So reintegrating the two personalities into one whole, and that is ultimately how you overcome the big threat that you're facing. Yes, I think that's an that's an interesting idea, and you see it. I think you see it alluded to a whole in stories all over the place, but yeah. very rarely do I see it executed in a way that I think it's a really interesting concept that that does justice to yeah. how interesting the concept is and how universal it is and how I think a lot of people I, I tell me if this is completely alien experience to you but I very much feel sometimes like within me not that an element of my personality pops out of me and is in a, a, you know a different another person walking right. around but I feel very much like there are elements of my personality that within me are struggling with each other that are at odds with each other that are that are almost like two distinct it's not multiple personalities but like two distinct opposing voices in in my thoughts right and and i feel like the only way that i find that i actually make progress is working to integrate those multiple selves right and because of that it it like uh, it just sparks stuff in my brain when I see this concept being utilized really effectively in a story. Like I do think it was utilized very effectively here. Yeah. Um, so as we run out of time, I have to ask the question: Would you recommend it? Yes. Uh, yes. Although much like when we talked about Coheed and Cambria, I feel like almost anybody that I would immediately think to recommend it to probably got to it years before I did, but. Actually, yes, considering how much of a barrier I'm still finding the the style of, of storytelling in anime. Yeah. Every time I felt like, oh man, my mind is just starting to wander off on me, something would happen in this story. And it, was, it wasn't necessarily even uh, something story or plot related. A lot of time it would be an image or some, some tone or mood shift. Yeah. That I thought was really interesting and would bring me back. So I would actually say 
yeah, if if you're like me, probably easier if you haven't experienced any anime or much anime. Probably easier to start with shorter form stuff just to get a taste for it. Mm-hmm. But I do think that this one, if you're moving up to features, this would not be a bad place to start because I feel like if you are consistently making the effort to engage with it, you will be consistently rewarded for that, even if by the end you're ready for it to be over. But again, that's not, it's, <laughs> I, I want to make clear though, that that is not a commentary on the movie. It's a commentary on how not used to watching anime I am. Right. And I, I, I have to assume that I have to assume that you're going to make me watch a good deal more over yep. time. And I have to assume that every time it will get easier and easier to find my in. Yeah. So having said all that, yes, I would recommend this because I'm not an anime person and I still found a lot really compelling about it. Nice. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know, yeah, the last time uh, with Coheed and also Shampoo, the idea was you'd recommend it, but anyone you uh, you know, but you're also recommending it to the audience who may come from the same background as you, who doesn't necessarily know about anime or all that stuff. So I take that as a full endorsement. I mean, um, I mean, watch all the anime, never watch anything oh, else. I was with you um, and for then, like a second. Uh, just just devote your life to the consumption of anime. Never watch any other kind of movie. That's what Lex said. That's what he said. That was that's what his recommendation comes from. I feel like I'd start having real specific bizarre nightmares if I watched nothing but anime. Because some of the and not in a bad. It takes a lot in a story for me to go. Oh, this. This is weird to a point that I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. I, I find it almost never. There was even just in this movie, there was plenty of stuff that definitely didn't make me uncomfortable, but where I went, huh. Well that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's something different. That's something <laughs> I have not I have not seen in many a motion picture. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that's partially why I really enjoy like movies like Paprika and anime in general is I feel like there's a certain amount of imagination involved that has such a wide scope and, and such a, a, a varying perspective that it, I feel like every time I watch a new show movie anime, if it's outside of the realm of just the old style samurai storytelling, I feel like there's something new and engaging and new ideas that come out of it every time I watch something. So yeah, I'm always surprised and I, I, I'm always really engaged and, and challenged in terms of like the way that I see things and the way that I see storytelling whenever I watch anime. Um, whether it's good or, or bad, there's always something to take from it. Yeah. Uh, so well, I think that's, that's generally true with anything. I feel yeah. like even if you watch a movie that is objectively not very well made, I still feel like if you're engaging with it through the right prism, you can learn a lot from watching work that isn't particularly polished right. or isn't particularly well executed. Yeah. Now, you hope that if you're going to invest the time, they, like, yes, they at least put some effort into what they were making. Um, but I actually think, yeah, like you're saying, like I think there's there is still value in watching things that aren't necessarily the highest caliber yeah i think it can teach you much in the same way you can learn just about anything by negative example same same idea right um so 
that brings us to the end of this show, Lex Michael. Oh, this part's always sad. I know, it's the saddest. But you know what will make me feel unsad? Tell me. People going on to iTunes and now, make sure if for you uh, Android listeners, maybe you were on your browser and you're like, God dang, I have to download this show every time and then put it on my Android phone and then I have to listen to it in my car because that's where most people listen to podcasts. Sure. But now you don't. Now you can go to the Google Play Store subscribe to missing out podcast which is us i think it's just called missing out and then uh you'll get it in your google play store feed and you'll be able to listen to us directly from all of your android devices so make sure to do that uh well we've also tweeted about it because i assume that if you are an android person and you're like i can't listen to itunes then you're not hearing this so uh, make sure you do that. Or if your friend was like, OMG, I can't listen to that show you love called Missing Out because I have an Android phone. Well, tell them that it's on the Google Play Store, bro. Uh, and I also, you know, them. good. I'll tell them all. Please do. Uh, oh, and I mentioned that we tweet stuff. And we do that from Missing Outcast on Twitter. That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. Missing Outcast. But yeah. Uh, and then you can also talk to us on our personal Twitters. Uh, what's yours, Lex Michael? I am on Twitter and all of the social media stuff that I am on at the Lex Michael. Nice. And you can find me at Tari J. That's T-A-U-R-I-J-A-Y. So uh, we thank you again for listening to this show. We really enjoy it. And we hope you liked Paprika. If you did, let us know in the comments below. And by the comments below, I mean on iTunes and or Google Play Store. Yes. Um, and tweet us if you, there's a movie or a music or a show that you think we should check out. We are taking recommendations. That's it. Yeah. No, I think that would be really cool. I'm looking forward to doing a couple of shows where, yeah, like a listener will suggest something to us, something that we're maybe both missing out on and they can explain to us why. And then I'm also looking forward to, we've been talking a little bit about bringing guests on too, other hosts that we we like and we think you guys will, will like too if you're not already familiar with them and they can bring a whole new angle to these conversations so we're probably going to be working on that in the pretty near future yeah very near future so if there are other after buzz hosts that you know of or other people and other podcasts tweet at them things, belligerently yeah just blow up their feed hell yeah be like you should be on this show uh, it's called missing out and and then also don't forget to tag us uh and so they then, know who to blame for right, their feed of course up. um but yeah because we like guests and we like things and we like singing and i think i've gone crazy i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna get out i'm leaving i'm bye i'm just gonna see you production value bye it's that skywalker sound i'm back <laughs>